HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This program is brought to you by Chefs Collaborative, a nonprofit with a mission to inspire, educate, and celebrate chefs and food professionals building a better food system. Change menus, change lives. Learn more at chefscollaborative.org. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. We talk about food. We talk about music. With musical dudes. Finger on the pulse. Snacky tunes.
Snacky Tunes. I'm one half your host, Greg Bresnitz. We have Darren Bresnitz calling in from Los Angeles. That was just Diane Birch, who will be live in studio talking about her time in Berlin uh, and her EP. Uh, please stay tuned for that. But up first, we have a very quickly returning guest, Jameson Fink. Welcome back. Great to be back. Wine Enthusiast Magazine. You thought it was a year. It was actually July that you were on. <laughs> This past time, uh, and you just got back from Miami. Yeah, I was there for our uh, Wine Enthusiast Wine Star Awards. It's the first time we held it in Miami, and it was uh, lovely to be enjoying some 70-plus degree weather and sunshine. Was there any upsets? Upsets? Well, they're all uh, they're announced in advance, so everyone knows who won. So uh, I, I wouldn't think there's there's no upsets. It's just uh, you know when the whole list comes out of the nominees, it's it's pretty exciting for everyone to be nominated, and it's a great community of people supporting each other and, and just congratulating each other. So it's a very uh, it's a very brings brings the uh, the industry together. Were there any uh, secret hotel wine parties where people were just opening big bottles that like you know you had to kind of be in the know to get a get a sip of or get a taste of? There, there may have been parties like that, but uh, the, the invitations were, were, were wide open and everyone was welcome. Okay. Well, you are here today to join us to talk about the 10 best uh, wine travel destinations of 2017. Um, you did 2016 last year and you are back with a brand new Where to Go. We're based back. On, we're back based on wine. So what was the impetus for creating this list? Well, I think, you know, I mean, obviously the magazine is called Wine Enthusiast, but people who are interested in wine have a lot of varied interests, too, and and travel is certainly one of them. And, you know, nothing's, you know, in my journey in wine, the thing that that I value the most is travel and um, going to vineyards, going to wineries all over the country, all over the world. And that's when, you know, I mean, it's I mean, I'm a sentimental, corny guy, but I don't think it's corny. I mean, that's when you really like, you know, learn and understand, you know, where your your feet are on the ground, walking the vineyards and talking with winemakers and people who work there. That's when it's really exciting. So I think the impetus for the the wine travel, the best 10 is just to to showcase how much a part of of travel is a part of understanding and enjoying wine so obviously there are you know there could be 10 20 30 40 50 places in the world to travel what separates the top 10 from the rest 
Well, you're absolutely right. I mean, we could do uh, you know a top 100. I think what it is every year is that uh, it's sort of a, a balance. I mean, there are. I mean, look, there are places we could do every year. There are iconic places that you would want to visit all over the world. But I think it's a mix of sort of taking a, a new look at some of the the classic places, like um, you know, like not just Napa, but let's look at Calistoga, and then discovering some places that might surprise some of our readers, like uh, the Canary Islands. So it's uh, to me, it's a it's a each year it's an exercise, and let's look at what's you know somewhat undiscovered and uh, shine a spotlight on that, and let's also maybe take a fresh look at this is why you should revisit the classics. And the list is really good. You have where to stay, where to dine, where to visit. Do the wines, is that where you start? Uh, It has to have good wines, or does the travel and the surrounding areas and activities also play a big factor in it? Well, I would say it has to have good wines, but then I think about um, London, which I think is a great example this year, because um, I don't think I'm going to say something provocative when I say that London is not known for its its vineyards. I mean, you had Las Vegas on last year as well, which no one really... I saw that, and I was like, okay... This is definitely a different approach to this list. Right. And it's just a great place, like being like Las Las Vegas or here in New York or London. They're just great centers for people who love to drink wine. I mean, you can go to places like Las Vegas or New York or London and just drink, um, just have like, you know, you're at sort of like one of the universal centers of wine. And so I think uh, London's a destination like that where it's like, yes, you may not be strolling through vineyards, but um, you're going to have a you know, a world of wine from everything from like, you know, cool, funky stuff to the classics to, you know, everything in between. And also it it can, you know, we can give a nod to um, English sparkling wine, which is something that's really up and coming too, and that you have a chance. I mean, it's being uh, imported and and it's getting to be more available nationally, but um, that's a great place to go and explore that. Because you also talk about just going not to London, but the outskirts of London and using that as your jumping off point. Yeah, exactly. And a lot of these, uh, a lot of these can be a great kind of home base for your for your wine exploration a lot of these destinations too now you know when putting together and you say that you're not gonna put napa valley you're not gonna put loire valley and and things like that are you trying to sort of push the conversation in a way that um you know opens it up to people who might be exploring new places for wines or are you just trying to do it sort of like be like, okay, we're going to say this and then hope we get some comments back because, you know, putting a place like London on the list is obviously going to generate some sort of commentary in the wine world. Yeah, I think so. And it's not that we're, you know, say not going to do Loire Valley or Napa. I mean, those are, I mean, I would, I would love to be in both those places oh my right, God, now. right now. Yeah. Let's go. Let's but, um, but maybe sort of like taking, like looking at a smaller section of it, like we did this year with Calistoga and Napa or you know, with the Loire Valley, maybe we would focus on one particular part. Maybe we'd focus on, let's say, like Sancerre or something like that, or, you know, an area around there. So I think it's more of a, um, a uh, you know, it's like we want we want it to be about discovery and people, but mm-hmm. it might be about rediscovery, mm-hmm. too. It might be like, hey, let's take a new look at a, at a classic. They're doing these new things there. Maybe they have new restaurants or new hotels or, or new activities to do. Or it's just, you know, hey, you know what, this, this place deserves a you know, the spotlight again. So it's kind of a combination of those things, discovery and rediscovery. Let's take one Did step. You, oh, sorry, just a quick question. Did you discover any new wine that you didn't know about when you're putting this list together? Well, I still haven't. I mean, I know it has a, a long, you know, storied history of uh, wine production, but, but Bulgaria is a place where I don't, if I've had a Bulgarian wine, I, it's been a long time. And um, so to me, yeah, I mean, I look at that list, I mean, I mean, I don't know everything, too. And, like, I get excited when I see sure. these lists or when people nominate things, too. And it, it does spur, I think, a discovery. Like, you know, I mean, even, like, you know, even if you can't go there, maybe you'll say, like, wow, I didn't know this about uh, the, the long history of winemaking in Bulgaria, and I'm going to go to a wine shop and say, hey, do you have a, a Bulgarian wine? I'd really like to try one. So I think that's a really good point, and that's the aspect of it, too. If you can't, you know, kind of go to these places, you can explore it through a bottle of wine. And that's, you know, another one of the great things about wine. Where does the nomination process start and how long do people uh, start lobbying for their places or suggestions or kind of side conversations? Yeah, it's one of those things where, I mean, it's a total group effort. We have everyone in the office. I mean, we travel a lot. I mean, our, um, our managing editor, Joe Cherwinski, is in uh, New Zealand as we speak. 
and um, where you know a lot of us are traveling all over the country and all over the world. We have our contributing editors on the the West Coast and people in Europe, and then of course we have a lot of you know contacts and friends and colleagues that that we ask to. So yeah, it's sort of like a it's sort of like a year round thing. And then once it gets closer to putting the issue together, you know, in the in the months in advance, we start you know trying to narrow it down and and you know kind of like you hinted at earlier. I mean, it could be twenty, thirty, forty, fifty, a hundred. So. I mean, it's it's not easy, and it's definitely something that we put a lot of thought into and a lot of time into, and um, so it's really a it, it's fun. It's a lot of work, but it's definitely you know we're really proud of it. Uh, all right, so let's get into the list. Uh, you had mentioned Canary Islands, which, when you think of Spanish wine, uh, is not the first place you think of uh, where wines grown. But what makes Canary Islands? So legendary, in fact, so legendary, it's been around since you say since the time of Shakespeare. Yeah, well, that's definitely part of it, and I think the, I mean, just looking at the terrain, this like volcanic, black volcanic soil, and these, um, it's just amazing the way the vines grow in kind of like these, um, like half circles, like semi buried in the. Um, semi, you know, like below the surface of, of, the, of the soil. Um, it's just really spectacular. It's like, it's like a lunar landscape for wine almost. It's really uh, otherworldly. And I think there's also something just to be said for, um, I mean, this is me personally speaking, uh, islands, just like, you know, like Sicily, which is also mm-hmm. on our list, or going to Tasmania or going to uh, Santorini. There's just something I think just really uh, appealing about, you know, visiting uh, or Madeira, you know, visiting an island that, that produces wine. It's just, uh, you know, it's like uh, something out of a a wish book. And how would you describe the wine if for people who've never had it from there? What would you uh, say the notes are and what wine that's a little bit more common that you could equate it to? You know, I haven't I haven't had a, a ton of wine from the Canary Islands. The ones I've had have kind of a that kind of classic kind of minerally a little little saline quality to them. Um, I would think they'd be like I think if you kind of like um, you know, something like, uh, you know, it's not like Chablis at all, but if you like sort of like mineral-driven um, wines with that kind of sea spray component, um, that those mm-hmm. would be wines like really dry, uh, bracing. And, um, you know, I mean, when I say unusual, it's not a euphemism for anything. It's like, just unusual in, in the best way. Like, uh, like they're like, wow, that's really cool. That's, a, that's something I haven't had before that's really unique. So I'm just, like I said, just like with a lot of these other regions, I mean, I myself, and, you know, that's what I love about wine, too. Like, uh, there's, like, I don't know everything. I'm always learning new things, and that's what's great about a group effort like this is that everyone around the, the country and the world brings something to the table. We're going to take a quick musical break, and we're going to come back and look at some of these other cities and places on the list. We have a track up from Alex Rose, who just put out two songs this week. Make sure to go check them out on our Bandcamp and SoundCloud page, and we'll be right back on Snacky Tunes. and 
Welcome back. Alex Rose, check out her new tracks over on her Bandcamp and SoundCloud page. Let's bring this back to the States. Hood River. Bring it back to the States. Hood River. <laughs> America. Uh, I went to school at Eugene, Oregon, and was totally unaware of the great wine that was around me. The microbrew scene was huge, but I was never even went to winery when I was there and always felt a pang of regret not realizing how great Oregon was for wine. And you mentioned that uh, Willamette Valley just won at the uh, Wine Star Awards. Yes, for the uh, wine region of the year, yeah. So let's go to let's talk about Hood River. What makes it great? Why that area? Uh, what are the attributes that you could find in the wines uh, in that place? Well, it's more like it's a great. It's another, like we talked about earlier. It's a great home base for exploring. Um, uh, like and yeah, you're right. The beer there is great. Like um, full sail and um, uh, freem, and uh, it's right on the water. It's right on the river. You've got all the people. Uh, parasailing and it's very scenic um i think there well the interesting thing is that you can explore wineries on both the uh, oregon and washington side like you can um you can go like get in your car and go to syncline which makes some really cool wines uh sparkling wines um they make a cool gruner veltliner a bunch of other things too and then you've got uh wineries like um phelps creek comes to mind they have just a, a like one of the nicest views i've ever seen from a winery it's very idyllic and they do some uh they do a nice pinot noir and chardonnay too so it's one of those spots where you've got and that's another thing i think we try and highlight with these destinations too it's like i mean yeah i mean drink wine go to go to wineries taste wine yeah. but it's also that you can you know if you are into you know active outdoor sports like hood river is an amazing place if you like beer if you want to explore a distillery or if you want to just kind of like chill and walk through this charming town right on the water right on the river i mean you can do that too so i think that's kind of a factor that we that we talk about too is that uh, that whole kind of lifestyle experience like yes wine is you know kind of a central part to it but part of the charm of all these destinations is that that the options that you have and i think that's the way you know, a lot of people like myself, I want to travel is I, I don't just want to kind of go to like six wineries in one day and, you know, be in tasting rooms all day. Like I want to go outside. I want to walk around. Maybe I want to have a beer after tasting a ton of huge tannic red wines and things like that. Right, so I think right, Hood right. River is really emblematic of that. It's a really it's a really charming spot. How how long of a time period do you recommend for these trips? Three days, five days, a month, a year. <laughs> well, that's that's really funny. I was just talking to a friend of mine last night who was talking about taking a vacation. She's like, "Yeah, I think I'm going to be there for three days." I'm like, three days? That's crazy!" Like, hmm. you got you know, and she was including travel time in that. I'm like, "Look, you got to spend five days and five days, like you know, feet on the ground, not like you know, two days oh, yeah. of traveling." So, um, I think some of the places. You know, you can, um, yeah, I mean, hey, if you can stay, you know, like a month, that would be amazing. But yeah, I, I think a lot of places, I mean, I would, I mean, I personally would want to take at least a week. I don't like to, tr I don't like to be sort of like, you know, like overbooked and like, you know, like, kind of like National Lampoon's vacation. Like there's a Grand Canyon, you look at it, okay, time to go. <laughs> so I think, uh, I think, yeah, if, if you have the, uh, if you're able to be leisurely in your travels, I think that's the way to go. I mean, with two of the 10 places on here based in the U.S., can we just put, to rest any conversation about American wine not being on the global level of, of wine producers everywhere. Oh, yeah. And I feel like that's something that's that's um, been settled a while. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, everything from, you know, uh, the Finger Lakes to uh, the Willamette Valley to Washington State and uh, obviously California, too. And, you know, and then, I mean, even look at places like... Um, I mean, Maryland, Texas, Virginia. I mean, there's there's some really good wine being made all over the country. So, um, yeah, it's uh, I mean, it's a great time to be drinking wine. So another place that you pick that's on the list uh, is Sicily in Italy. And what, um, what happens in Sicily uh, for this Italian wine that doesn't happen in other parts of the country that might be better known for wine? Well, I think one of it is, I mean, look, Italy has an incredible wealth of indigenous grapes. I, I just think like with Sicily, you know, there's a there's a book I really like called The World of Sicilian Wine. And I think that kind of encapsulates it that, you know, um, and I'm probably quoting straight from this book. It's like the world of Sicilian wine is kind of a world unto its own. There's just so much diversity on on that island that it's astonishing. Like, you know, like from uh, Mount Etna, you've got these really cool red wines made from Nerello Mascalese that some people say are kind of, you know, Nebbiolo-ish or Borolo-ish and maybe some that are, you know, Burgundy-esque um, and these like, you know, beautiful white wines made from Caracante. And then you've got uh, like Cherisuelo de Vittoria, which is... Um, 
frappato and uh, nero de avila or just frappato on itself and um, you know and then uh, you've got marsala and sweet wines and uh, just there's just so much there that's just um, uh, really exciting and uh, I just think that you know the the food you know just, and the whole thing of just being on an island the, the, the lifestyle is um, uh, you know, you can explore beaches, you can see volcanoes, there's incredible uh, historic ruins, there's top restaurants, it's just a really, uh, it's a really awesome place to visit. This one sounds much, much like more of an adventure than some of the other places where you're going to get the full breadth of the of the country enveloped within the wine tasting as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, absolutely. I think it's a place that you want to um, explore around and spend more time and visit, you know, all the coasts, you know, the islands off the island and uh, the interior. Yeah, I mean, you could spend a lot of time. And that's where I would say spend, you know, don't spend, do it in three days. Spend the month. Yeah, take, yeah. take the month. Why not? Take the month. Yeah. The last one we want to touch on is Rheingau, Germany, which is right outside Frankfurt, a place near and dear to my heart. Let's talk about this because this looks like your traditional German, what you would think of in the story tale, um, uh, fairy tale type of village uh, that also produces great wine. Yeah, um, that, I mean, that's a place I haven't been, but um, yes, I mean, the, the, the village is dotting the river. Yeah, it's, it's sort of like the archetype of super, you know, super charming uh wine country with uh traditional villages and things like that and yeah i'd, I'd love to go there and drink a, a bunch of rieslings and then i could get some frankfurt tips from you guys and is there anything in the town that you can call it or anything from an overarching theme from this that you think is, is really just pulling and pointing these destinations and that will also begin to inform the 2018 list uh, I, yeah, of course. I think every year we kind of learn something more from it. But I, I think it's just having that mix of, like, places that are kind of not, not in the middle of nowhere, but, like, where you're really, like, uh, you're really kind of embedded in the vineyards. You're right there. Having, yeah. like, a place that's an urban experience like London or or Las Vegas where you can um, – you're not in vineyards, but you have, like, everything at your fingertips. It's like a – you know, you're like a kid in a candy store with all these restaurants and wine bars and wine shops. So I think it's having, and then just places that are just, you know, I mean, not that, I mean, most places that have vineyards are pretty scenic, but I think also having yeah. something, you know, where you can access the ocean or have, do a lot of other things like go hiking or biking or, or there are spas or things like that. So I think it's having a mix of like all those kinds of experiences just so the list is diverse and, uh, and exciting. And, um, you know, like I said, like this year's list, there are new discoveries for me. I'm like, oh, wow, that place is cool. I want to go there. I want to drink those wines. So I think um, just, you know, also keeping in mind that next year, you know, we got to, you know, you got to sleuth out those places as well. And for the uninitiated who have never done a wine, uh, a winery vacation, how much time would you allocate per winery? That's a great question. Um, I think the, it's sort of like the, you have this excitement, like, like, I want to go to a winery. Let's go to another. Let's go to another. I would rather do right. less than more because I don't like like sort of like clock watching and being like, ooh, we got to drive and get to this next sip, place. Sip, spit, sip, right, spit, yeah. sip, spit, go, go. I mean, honestly, go, go, I go, for go, me, go. for me, the magic number is three. I like to do one in the morning, like palate's really fresh, you know, like 10 in the morning, spend a couple hours there, go someplace that has a restaurant or a restaurant adjacent and have a nice long lunch. And then uh, go to one more place in the afternoon. You're not rushed because you want to have, if you're in wine country, A, have a long lunch. That's one of the greatest pleasures in life. So then after that lunch, you uh, you go to one more place and you're there for a couple hours and then you're done. Then you go back to the hotel and you put up your feet and you have a beer. Great. Well, where can people awesome. find the, the list, uh, get the magazine, start to book travel, take us with them, be tour guides? It's uh, Well, first of all, the website is winemag.com. And if you're looking for the travel guide specifically... For 2017, it's winemag.com slash 2017 wine travel. And you can also find the 2016 list if you happen to find yourself in Las Vegas and dying for a good bottle of wine. Yeah, yeah, check it. That's still very valid. Well, Jameson, thanks for joining us. We will probably have you, you back on sooner than either of us can expect. And I'll try and remember exactly when it was last time. Up next, we have well, Diane we'll Bird. Just, we'll just say February, first week in February every year. Deal. Great. We have Diane Birch up next live in studio. Uh, we have a track that she played on from our buddy Aaron Rewards that was recorded on Snacky Tunes four years ago, five years ago, something like that. Aaron, if you're out there floating wherever you are, we say hello. Stay tuned. Hello. We'll be right back.
This program is brought to you by Chefs Collaborative, a national nonprofit network with a mission to inspire, educate, and celebrate chefs and food professionals building a better food system. Chefs Collaborative members work to make sustainable practices second nature for every chef in the United States. Chefs Collaborative was founded in 1993 by visionary chefs, including Rick Bayless and Alice Waters, who acknowledged the influential role of food professionals on our food choices, our collective personal health, the vitality of cultures, and the integrity of the global environment. Chefs Collaborative believes that the greater culinary community can be a catalyst for positive change by expanding the market for good food and helping to preserve local farming and fishing communities. Change menus, change lives. Learn more about Chefs Collaborative at chefscollaborative.org. Welcome back. Diane, welcome to Snacky Tunes. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's good to see you again. Thank you. Yes, you too. Uh, you were the child of a nomadic preacher in Zimbabwe. <laughs> How did that affect your musical inclinations and where do you pull influence from those experiences? Um, yeah, I mean, I think the fact that I was, I had to move around so much as a small child. And so I was kind of always like having to adapt to a lot of different things, saying goodbye a lot of times to people. So I sort of became a little bit of a recluse in my own mind. And my parents were also a lot older. And um, this was also in South Africa. So it was like, you know, there's just like a lot of there's very a lot backwards. Of <laughs> there's a lot of backwards. Lot of <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, it, it was. It really influenced my music, I guess, just because I I started appreciating music so much. My parents were big classical fans, and there was a lot of music in church growing up. So um, I was very influenced by like church hymns and classical music, um, and I was very sheltered also. So it made me a little weird. <laughs> <laughs> when did you start playing the piano? I was seven when I started playing. Yeah, and um, yeah, I was just sort of not that interested i mean my mom was like oh we're going to a piano lesson today i was like okay and then it was just kind of like one of those things where i just it, it just came naturally and I, I just loved it so much and uh, at that time or it was at that time or no, or how much later in life did you start to realize that music is what you want to do full time well i always knew that music was what i wanted to do full time which is why I always use the excuse, I don't need a college degree. I don't need to finish high school. <laughs> I'm like, I'm just going to play music. Um, I don't need to do homework. I don't need to do any of this stuff. No. I got the piano. Yeah, like I already I'm know good. what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. Um, I always knew I was going to do music. I didn't know. I had no idea I was going to become a singer. I thought I just had like the worst voice, but I was, I was really, pri I prided myself on the fact that I was a pianist and I'm like, I'm a pianist. I want people to take me seriously as a pianist. And then people were like, why don't you just, can't, don't you sing? And I was like, no, no. And then they're like, oh, never mind. And I was like, nobody wants me if I don't sing. So then I started trying to sing and yeah, I'm still trying to sing. Which, which uh, pianists or classical composers were your people growing up? Um, well, like Glenn Gould and um, Leonard Bernstein. I mean, just like all the classical, you know, pianists. And then, and then when I started to get more, and I mean, of course, like Debussy and Chopin and you know Satie and and those composers, I was very influenced by as well. And I, um, yeah, and I loved like old film scores and like you know that kind of feel. And and so um, a lot of contemporary composers as well. And so I was just yeah, I wanted to just kind of be like a film scorer or just like compose like weird contemporary classical piano pieces. And then I'm like, that's kind mm -hmm. of weird. Maybe that's really niche. <laughs> Maybe that's kind of niche. Very <laughs> niche. <laughs> yeah. as, as you evolved uh, into this, did playing in piano lobby in a hotel lobbies, pianos help you get over the, I'm not a singer to the singer that you are now. Well, it wasn't really that. Um, but although it did really kind of make me not give as much of a, Am I allowed to say? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, is yeah, this a PG yeah. show here? Um, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, it kind of made me, like, not care so much. Um, and, yeah, give as much of a shit. But it definitely made me more aware of, like, music and what was going on and pop music. I started paying more attention. and um, But then singing, it was more just my friend one day was like, oh, I'm going to this singing class, and it's really great. We, like, talk about our feelings and hold hands, and then we meditate, and he has a piano, and you should come over and play, like, background music. And I was like, okay. And then I went there, and I ended up 
writing a song for this class just as like a fun exercise and then they were like oh this is really good and then i just started doing it what songs were introduced to you from the pop world when you started playing in the in the hotels or how far away from you from like what was going on contemporary music well when i first started doing it i mean i've sort of always lived in my own world of like reality like i pay attention to certain things and not others um but when i started playing in hotels and restaurants um I was like, okay, I have to learn the standards, so I have to learn like all the classic, you know, Cold Porter, Gershwin, whatever. And then, um, and then I started playing that, and I was like, okay, this is really cool, but like, I want to play some other songs, and I love Radiohead, and I love, you know, all these other pop, you know, anything that I was listening to at the time. And I was like, oh, I could just play any of these on the piano and just sort of make it sound. I just lounged everything out basically, <laughs> and I was like, everything works. You can lounge anything out. Um, you can lounge out Chopin if you want, or Beethoven. Um, so, Ooh, little loungy <laughs> Chopin. What? What is it? A little loungy Chopin. Yeah, exactly. You can pretty much. Yeah, put a grace note on anything. <laughs> Can we hear a song? Yes, please. <laughs> Quickly before I start saying too much stupid shit. What are you going to play for us first? Um, I'll play a song called um, Kings of Queens. It's actually inspired by the Mets, um, which I have no interest in really, but uh, my boyfriend does. <laughs> and uh, he was talking about it very passionately. And um, I was like, wow, this is so like poetic and beautiful. And, you know, I turned it into a song, so... Yeah, I'll go ahead and play that. Kings of Queens.
You left America in your nomadic travels to go to Berlin. What was the decision behind that, and what did you find there for musical inspiration? Um, well, I was just sort of, I'd sort of just fallen out of love with New York. I'd been here for quite a few years. I was sick of my rent price. I was just, sick. I had a dynamic with it that was like, I needed to just shift it up. So the opportunity came to go there and just um, live for like 10 months to a year. And so there was just like this apartment that, we knew through a friend and so we ended up just being like yeah let's go um and it was great it just it sort of reinvigorated my idea of music and just um there's all this there's all these great studios and there's like this amazing german gear and everything <laughs> everything works really well efficient <laughs> yeah exactly yeah it was just a it's a really it's a really beautiful city i mean we had a really nice apartment i just stayed inside all the day all all day long and just wrote songs and just the feeling there it was it has a real creative community and and um it just kind of took me out of like the pressure and everything of new york and sort of brought me back to like this really quiet place where i um yeah i sort of just figured out what i wanted to do next most people know berlin for its late night techno and and dance music and 72 hour clubs what is the more piano focused um singer songwriter scene like there and how is that I mean, I don't hang out. I was at the Bergheim like every night, <laughs> like jamming on the dance floor. No, I'm kidding. I wasn't. Um, I, I don't really know. I, I, I was pretty reclusive. I didn't really check out like what was going on and like that's. I don't even know what's going on in any singer songwriter scene anywhere really. Um, so yeah, I, I, I didn't listen to a ton of music um, or go see a ton of music. There's a lot of things that the city had to offer that I didn't really make the most use of but for me it was more just about being there being in that space and that environment um i met great musicians um yeah i sort of tailor made the whole experience to what i needed at that point in my life so let's talk about the new album new um and how it came together and um you mentioned that it was a, a reclaiming of creative control Yes. Um, how did that happen, and and, ha and why did that happen, and how did the new album come together? Um, yeah, well, I, I was on a label for, you know, seven, eight years, and sure. um, I had, there was a lot of creative <laughs> battles that were fought, and um, when I left them um, a couple years ago, it was kind of, I started just learning Ableton, and I was like, I'm going to do everything myself, no one's coming near anything I ever do ever again, <laughs> and um, back off, back off everything I, I got. <laughs> I'm like, I got this. I'll do everything. Um, <laughs> and, um, yeah, and I'm also a control freak, so it was, like, a great way for me to realize that actually that's not always the best thing. But, um, yeah, no, I just started writing all these songs. I had, like, all these things in my Ableton that I was like, what am I going to do with this stuff? And it, so, it slowly started coming together. And then when we went to Berlin, um, my boyfriend was just like, you know, oh, there's all these studios here, and I know this person who can introduce you to that person, and there's musicians, and why don't we just, like, record a bunch of the songs? And I was like, I don't know, like, you know, money, da-da-da-da-da. And then he was just like, let's just do it, and then just self-release it and, you know, start a label. And I don't know, he's like, let's just do this. And so I was like, okay, let's do it. And so it was just kind of those things, like, it was so simple. I just made this decision, like, yeah, you're going to do this. You're going to record it, and you're going to put it up on Bandcamp, and you're not going to make a big deal about it, and you're just going to sell it to your fans. And, um, and so, so awesome. Yeah, and so it was just incredible. I mean, I came from the mastering <laughs> studio, and um, within, like, an hour, they were uploaded onto Bandcamp, and it was released, and people were buying it, and, like, the money was going into my PayPal account, and I'm like, this has never happened in, like, my entire career. God I've never seen a dime. Internet, right? I know, and it was just, like, it's incredible because artists are so powerful, and we have such tools now, you know, with being able to, you know, have this direct line of, of contact to our fan base and have the support. There is, like, there's all these things that we can do, and we don't actually need, you know, this whole machine necessarily around us that in the way that maybe in the past it was much more enticing. So it definitely made me feel powerful and, and just like, yeah, I can do I can do what I want. And, um, yeah, when you put on the business hat, 
which is hard to do sometimes. Right. Um, you realize you have a lot of power. What are some of the things that you still feel that you need to learn as now having your own label or things that are still not totally there that you had from the support of being on a label before? Well, obviously, like, the money. <laughs> the money thing is nice, but um, as I've come to realize, like, you know, more money, more problems, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> I've and, heard that before. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's this thing. I coined it myself. Yeah. Um, no, it, the, once you have a lot of people in the mix and you have all these other opinions and it's it's very difficult to, like, retain your artistic vision and sometimes your vision just shifts and it changes and you need to be surrounding yourself with people that you really trust and that are on the same page as you. Um but yeah, financially, you know, that's one of the harder things. But at the same time, I've, I have so many like friends. I have such a community. There's such a like heavy, you know, deep artistic community of people that are very generous with their time, with their creativity. And like, I, I pull in favors. I have so many people that are just like, we want to help you. We want to do this for you. And when you don't have that big label behind you, actually people feel more compelled to do stuff for you because they're like, oh, you're, you know, you're doing something. We believe in this. We're passionate about it. And we you know, we're doing that. We believe in it and we want to support this for the right reasons, not just because we think we're going to make a buck. And, um, it just brings it back to like the integrity of the intention of what you're doing again. And, um, so yeah, it, it, it's been really, it's been really good to. That's <laughs> to, awesome. Well, let's, uh, <laughs> let's get, let's get into the mix uh, with another song. How about that? Sure. Um, the snack song is stand under my love, I guess I'll play that one. Sure. Okay, it feels like maybe a fitting song for these insane times we're living in right now. <laughs> um, all right. Somebody on the left, somebody on the right. Somebody in the dark, somebody in the light. Harder than stone Make you feel so all alone The drugs don't work There's too much hurt Gotta find another road Gotta bear the heavy load Somehow Fixed I come crashing down There has to be a place for us In this world With a little shelter from up above, little eyes at every turn. I wanna be the face you trust in this world. When you need a little shelter, stand under my Stone, and the future may be known when 
there's nothing left to say I'll cover you, I'll cover you, babe Together we'll last for another day Big sky come crashing down There has to be a place for us in this world With the little shelter From up above Little eyes at every turn I wanna be the face you trust in this world When you need a little shelter I stand under my Let's talk about the real reason why you're here. Cream of the crib. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, yes. Peasant dishes made with royal ingredients. <laughs> Your food Instagram profile. Oh, yes, which I haven't updated in a minute. Well, here's, the, we're, here's we're actually, a good reason This is to. actually an intervention from your team to bring you back into the food world. Yeah. It's a beautiful site. Oh, thanks. Did you make all the food yourself? Yeah, duh. Uh, what, uh, what was the inspiration behind it, and how did, you, how did it evolve? <laughs> well, um, well, first of all, I love food. I love to eat. I love good ingredients. Um, I love high-quality ingredients. Um, I'm not like, I don't know how to cook, really, at all. Um, but I just like to put certain things together. Um, I used to live across the street from uh, Marlow and Sons in Williamsburg, um, and also from their place, Marlow and Daughters, which has, like, really beautiful produce and stuff. And so I was always in there, and, like, they had all these great dishes, and I was like, oh, that's an interesting way to do eggs, and that's an interesting concoction, and, oh, yeah, I should try that. And then I ended up just sort of trying things out, and then I'm like, that's so pretty. I should photograph it. And then I'm like, where do I put this? It's like, I can't put it on my Instagram because that's lame. And I'm like, I'm just going to start a food Instagram, and nobody's even going to pay attention, but it's going to look pretty when I scroll through, and I want to remember my recipes. It's really pretty. You have a great roasted <laughs> chicken. Really it's it's beautifully shot. Thank you. Is that also shot by yourself? Well, yeah. I mean, I have an art director, and we've you know discussed it at length. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, it's some I, iPhone simple side. The, the plate sort of at a slight angle, and yeah, nice natural light. <laughs> Uh, so you have a show coming up this Wednesday at Babies. It's actually Tuesday. Tuesday at Babies. Yeah. Uh, who are you playing with? Um, I'm playing. I have a really great band. Um, I'm. It's like a full-on band. I have a, a little string section. I have a Stuart Matthewman, the sax player um, of the Sade band. He's playing with me. Um, Aaliyah is playing with me. And uh, yeah, so it's um, it's, it's going to be exciting. Although no one could see where you pointed because it's radio. It's oh, I'm the, so sorry. The, the, the bass, <laughs> you know, the silent bass player. The silent bass player. Silent bass player. <laughs> yes. Uh, that's great. So where can people find the EP? Find the records. Uh, put money in your PayPal account. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you can buy it every. I mean, you can get it everywhere. You can. If you like, uh, I recommend buying it on Bandcamp because you can get high quality audio files, and um, you just go. Shout out to Bandcamp. It's, Who doesn't love Bandcamp? I know it's incredible, actually. And, and they just donated uh, all their sales on Friday to the ACLU. Really? Yeah. I did not even know oh, that. Oh yeah. yeah. Okay, I love me only buy it on Bandcamp, please. Yes. Okay. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So even more reason, um, I would be totally happy to have them take all the proceeds from that and give it to ACLU. And you also have a European tour coming up as well. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm leaving uh, February. I'm going to go play some shows. And I'm playing in Berlin and Paris and um, London. And then, yeah, going back again in May. I'm working on a full-length album now um, with Aaliyah. He's my producer on it. Um, and so he, yeah, it's it's exciting. We're excited to play shows and get back out there. Last question. Yeah. What advice would you give to people who want to take back more and more control of the musical projects? And what are some of the hardest things that you faced along the way that you got through and that you would just give some advice to newcomers? Um, yeah, just 
figure out a way to get the money. Like, never don't do something because of money. I feel like there's always a way to get, like, a little chunk of change or pull in a favor. Yeah. And um, you make the money back and, you know, just keep doing it. Keep informing your fans. Just believe that, like, there's people out there that actually care. And don't get swept up in the whole thing that if you don't have all this team of people around you paying you tons of attention and showering you with praise, that that's the only type of scenario that's going to get you into the you know into the you know public eye or whatever i don't know i don't really know what advice i'd have to think about it a little no that was good advice you, you, <laughs> that was perfect but you just basically perfect. do it just do it you'll you'll figure it all out everything will happen for you i mean the other little side note is that i i like engineered and i produced and i i mixed a lot of noose which um was totally intimidating but just like you power through it and then you learn and then you keep getting better and better and you know everybody starts at a certain point everybody's an amateur at some point so i like to say that judah child at one point didn't know how to make eggs really yeah awesome yeah and then she watched the jacques pepin youtube tutorial (laughs) yeah Yeah. exactly yeah that's exactly how it happened (laughs) um alternative cooking facts well we want to thank jameson for coming on uh please make sure to check out wine enthusiast magazine to the 2017 best wine travel destinations diane good to see you again thank Thank you you for coming on uh, we will be back next week with a brand new all LA based episode of Snacky Tunes. Uh, what are you going to take us out with? I'm going to play a song called Juno, inspired by that epic snowstorm when they shut the city down a few years ago. Oh, yeah. Great. <laughs> well, thanks for listening. Thank uh, you. And we will be back next week with a brand new episode of Snacky Tunes. Cool. Thank you.
Talk about food. We talk about music with musical dudes. Finger on the pulse, snacky tunes. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.